Hey, real quick, I just want to make sure everybody is aware uh, Breakway 2020 registration is open. For those of you who are new and don't know what that is, that is our annual youth retreat. So basically, we get away for a weekend and we pursue the presence of God. If you like what we were doing here a few minutes ago, that is a whole weekend's worth of doing it. And so we want to make sure that you're there. And here's what I say every year. Money will never be a reason why you can't go. As a matter of fact, on Sunday, we had so many people give us scholarships for kids to go that currently we have more scholarships than we have students registered. And so money is not going to be an issue by law. I have to use that money for people who want to go. Now, listen, don't be one of them people that, hey, I need money, but you're all decked out and brand new gear. And it's like, yeah, you need money. You spent all of it on your clothes. Um, but... At the same time, we want to make sure that money's never going to be a reason for you not to go. So if you are interested, we're going to help you get there. We're going to figure all that out. So we just want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to go. Amen? That being said, though, I've been doing this for a long time, and I will never understand why people drag to register and put those things in. We'll say it over, hey, register. And I'm not talking about, like, new people. I'm talking about the person, this is like your 19th breakaway, and you're like, uh, I mean, I'm going to go. And it's like, yeah, then give me your form and stop driving Haley crazy. And so here's our little incentive. We got some new merch that just came in. Yo, I'm not even going to lie. This merch is fire. For way go, okay? And uh, so here's the deal. We have a limited supply of it. And so what we're going to do is the only people that are available to purchase said merch are people who have registered. And so if you haven't registered, you're not going to be allowed to buy the merch. And so if you wait last minute, there may not be any merch your size to purchase. And let me tell you, we did a nice little collab this year. Uh, I am so geeked out about my merch. Um, we're going to be putting up a video. Also, if you don't follow us on social media, make sure that you do so that you can get a hint on what this new stuff is. But uh, honestly, we were super geeked when we found out we could put this together and what it was going to look like. So if you are interested in getting some of the new merch, register, get your stuff situated, and you will be eligible for that. Amen? Amen. Cool. We were talking last week about loving God completely. And uh, that started to spark a thought in, in my heart about just our love for each other and the kind of community and the kind of people that I feel God has called us to be. And, and in order to do that, I want to open up a story in the Bible. We're not really going to dive too much into this, just kind of intro the thought that we have for tonight. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew 18. We're going to read verses 23 through 34. Matthew 18, verses 23 through 34. Listen to this story. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In other words, he's calling in the debt, right? He says, in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him a million dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. Let me pause right there. In the ancient world, if you couldn't repay your debt, by law, they could then have you put into slavery. You, your extended family, your children would all be sold into slavery until that debt was paid off through your labor. So this is the situation that this servant finds himself in. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. Okay, so here's the deal. 
The guy is like, no, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to hurt my family. Please, please, please. He got on his knees. He begged him. And not only did the guy not sell him and his family into slavery, but he forgave the day. He said, you know what? You don't owe me anything then. All right? So this is a huge deal. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. How many know a few thousand dollars is a lot less than a few million dollars? He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Sounds familiar, right? Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. It's a crazy scenario, right? It's a crazy situation. Here this guy owes millions of dollars. But he begs for his life, and the king, having sympathy and pity on him, ends up forgiving his debt, and now his debt is clear. Story looks great at that point. But immediately you see the hypocrisy of the servant when he runs to another guy who owes him money, and instead of showing the same love and grace, he ends up putting him in jail until that smaller amount of debt was paid off. And the king, obviously not liking that, called him account and held him accountable for what he had done. I believe all this could have been avoided if the man, the first servant, would have followed a rule that Jesus talks about several chapters earlier in Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, is just one verse, but it's got one title, and it's called the golden rule. Jesus teaches us this golden rule that I believe had the first servant followed this, he would have avoided all this drama. Let me explain to you what the golden rule is. Matthew 7, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and all the prophets. How many have heard something similar to that growing up? Your mom or dad may be teaching you something like that. Treat others the way you want them to treat you. Things like that. This isn't like the first thing or first time anyone had ever said this. This was kind of a, a theology or thinking that lasted even before Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 7. But Jesus does reiterate it. And he says, listen, just if you can learn to follow this, that first servant wouldn't have been in all the drama that he was in. If you can learn to implement this rule into your daily life and have it be a part of who, you're, who you are, you will avoid mad drama. You will avoid petty gossip. You will avoid a lot of stressful situations because you've learned to abide by the golden rule. Now, there's a few things you need to understand about the golden rule that I think are important for you and I tonight. So if you're taking notes, the first thing is this. The golden rule is proactive and not reactive. The golden rule is proactive, not reactive. Here's what I mean. The golden rule states, do to others what you would have them do to you. Right? So the first step is you doing something proactive. Do to others as you would want them to do to you. 
most of us live by what is often referred to as the silver rule, not the golden rule. The silver rule, or silver rule, not silver, I'm good. The silver rule is inverted. It's treat others the way they treat you. Most of us live by that type of thinking. I'm going to treat people the way they treat me. So how come you were disrespectful to your teacher? Because they were disrespectful to me. How come you talked back to that person? Because they talked back to me. Oftentimes we treat people the way they treat us. Why are you mean to your mom? Because she's mean to me. She, she doesn't deserve that or he doesn't deserve that. And so we end up becoming reactive. We react to whatever is given to us. We become thermometers rather than thermostats. Thermometers, they, they don't do anything but register the temperature of the room. So if the room is 75 degrees, a thermometer is not going to tell you it's 77 unless it's broken. Right? But a thermostat sets the temperature in the room. The thermostat, when I go back there and I set that to 70 degrees, it'll change the temperature in the entire room until it gets to that degree. Most of us, we're reactive, particularly when it comes to our emotions. Why are you so angry? Because people have been mean to me. And because people have treated me that way, now I react this way. And listen, that stuff carries on beyond other people. Right? Why are you always gossiping? Because people always gossip about me. Why, why are you always frustrated? Because of the way people treat me. And when you live your life reactive, you're always behind. You're always at the mercy of what others do to you. You're always a response, never an answer. Listen, Luke chapter 6, verse 35 through 36, says to love your enemies, do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. When you learn to live by the golden rule, it changes the temperature in the room. Let me explain this. There's been times where people will, will be upset let's just say in this scenario for really no good reason. It's a misunderstanding. And they come at you aggressively. Now, naturally, for many of us, the reaction is, yo, I'm going to come back aggressive to you, right? This is why we're seeing a lot of situations uh, when you find police shootings with people. It's, it's an inability to de-escalate the situation. So instead of trying to bring the situation down, we come back at them with the same level that they came to us. But when you're a thermostat, when you understand the golden rule, and somebody comes at you aggressively, and you respond instead with love, it lowers the situation. So someone's yelling at you, and ah, nah, nah. okay, why are you upset? You know why I'm upset. This, this might be an understanding. I hear you. Just explain what's going on. Well, you told so-and-so that my pinky toe was bigger than my ring toe. And I'm like, listen, I've never seen your feet. I have no idea how ugly your toes are. That's between you and your podiatrist. I have no idea what's going on in that situation. But when you lower, and listen, lowering it just means your attitude, your tone. Let me give you a scenario maybe a little closer to you. You're in school, maybe like I was. I, I, I am not capable of whispering, Okay. Like, when I would whisper in school, I'd be like, hey, what's the answer to number seven? And the teacher would be like, Mr. Silva? I'm like, dude, everybody else was talking. I wasn't talking, right? Or, you know, somebody, hey, what's it? We're on chapter six. Stop talking, Joey. I'm telling them what chat, right? And so you get mad at the teacher. 
Because the teacher don't know what you were saying. The teacher probably thought you were talking about their bad weave or something. And you're like, nah, man, I'm trying to help this dude. And so what happens is because you feel attacked, you want to attack back. Instead of just saying, okay, I'm sorry, no problem, You're t- whatever. I'm not going to say anything in the moment. Maybe afterward, hey, Mr. Silva, I just want you to know earlier, I, didn't, I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. They didn't know what chapter they were on, and they were just asking me. And um, I just want to make sure you understood that. Oh, you know what? Most teachers, they don't want to admit it, but a lot of them will. Hey, you know what? I'm sorry, I said that back to you. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt next time. Two different scenarios as far as reactions. Most of us, instead of calmly and saying, you know, I'm going to be quiet right now. I'll deal with this later. We'll talk about it. We'll follow the golden rule. We react. And because we react, you end up in detention. You end up getting in trouble. You end up having to go to the principal's office. You end up having this continued. And here's what the problem with that. It only makes you angrier now. Because now you got in trouble, so now you go to the principal's office or you go to the dean or you go to somebody. They're automatically going to take the teacher's side. They don't know what happened in the room. So now they're yelling at you, and you're like, okay, now I got two adults yelling at me. Then what are they going to do? They're going to call your mom and dad, and your mom and dad are going to yell at you. Now you got three people yelling at you for something you didn't even do, and now you feel attacked. And now suddenly you don't trust these three people, and the next time it happens, you want to attack again. If you can learn to be proactive when it comes to the golden rule, you can learn to love people before they hate you. You can learn to be kind to people. You can learn to give respect long before you get respect. You can learn to, to be generous before they're ever generous with you. It changes the way people perceive you, and it changes the temperature in the room. Growing up, honestly, I hated people before I got to know them. It was just a weird thing I had. Like, if you came in new, automatically, can't stand that person. Why? I don't know. You just look like somebody I can't stand. You ever had that? Like, you just see somebody, like, hate them. They ain't said a word. It's their first day in school, brand new kid. Could have been the nicest kid. They walk in, you're like, ugh. Look at her eyes. What's wrong with her eyes? They're too close. (laughs) It's like, dang, how you going to come at their eyes? It's like, you can't do anything about their eyeballs. But we have this tendency to automatically not like people. And I had the same thing. I think it's because when I was a kid, I remember one time I went in my first day of school, and I've told some of you this story. I had transferred in fifth grade to this new school, and, uh, you know, everybody, especially in grammar school, they, like, grow up with each other from kindergarten. So it's hard when you transfer to a new grammar school. And so I walked into the school, and, you know, you had the registry, so class was kind of already in session. And they're like, students, we have a new student. They're like, hey, this is Jose Silva. And I was like, Hi. And then I just happened to hear this one girl, ugh, he's ugly. And I was like, dang, I miss my old school. <laughs> right? Automatically, I felt closed off. Could you imagine what it would have been like if the first thing I heard was, hi, welcome. We're so happy you're here. My name is so-and-so. What's your name? Do you want to be my friend? Like, it would have changed the whole expectation of my experience. Listen, it's important for you to understand that the golden rule is not just about respect and kindness. The golden rule applies to everything. To do unto others the way you want them to treat you. To love others the way you want them to love you. To respect others the way you want them to respect you. To be generous in your assumptions the way you want people to be generous towards you. To have mercy towards others the way you want them to have mercy towards you. See, the golden rule, if you're taking notes, 
is for everything. If you go back at the beginning of that verse, it says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Well, what does that mean? Everything. It means this works in almost any and all situations. The first time somebody comes to Excel, we got a few people today that are new. What's their experience going to be like based on you? Now flip it. How would you like your experience to have been the first time you came to Excel? I remember the first time I came to Excel. I kid you not. I walked in and my first thought was like, yo, everybody here is really weird. Right? It was loud. People were raising their hands and jumping. And I'm like, this place is insane. I think it's a cult. This is kind of freaky. There was this one short little kid who was like smaller than everybody. I called him Spirit Boy. I, didn't, I never knew his name. His, his name was Spirit Boy to me. And I called him Spirit Boy because he always looked like he was going to take off spiritually. Like he was just going to fly in the air during worship. And I'm like, yo, freaking Spirit Boy is dope, you know. So I had these like weird perceptions. And I kid you not, when I first came to Excel, honestly, there was a whole group of people who I can tell didn't want to be my friend. Like even adults who were like, hey, don't talk to that kid. I don't know what it was about me. I think I was incredibly handsome as a teenage boy. I was very, you know, I was fit. I was good looking, I thought, you know. Maybe I had a little hoodness to me probably, and that's what they didn't like. Because that whole group of people were kids who grew up in the church. And let me tell you, those of you who grew up in this church, be careful because sometimes you don't notice your own personal biases. You don't recognize that you only ever talk to the five kids you grew up in church with. And so because of that, these group of people... I could tell they didn't want me at Excel. But guess what? I fell in love with Excel. Not those people, but the ministry. And because of my nature, I just thought, okay, if you don't want to be my friend, I'll bring more friends than you, and I will take over this ministry, and it will be mine. And now I'm the pastor, so I own it. <laughs> but honestly, that was my idea. So I started bringing friend after friend after friend. Now that kind of worked out, but I wish... I wish people would have just been like, hey, is this your first time here? Hi, my name's Joey. Nice to meet you. How'd you hear about us? You know, how did you get here? Cool, what'd you think? Was it cool? Was it weird? Do you feel comfortable? Ah, I kind of felt a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I felt like that too. But, man, the people here are really great, and I found a really great family here, and I really hope you come back. Here's my phone number. If you need anything, call me. That would have changed everything. For me, off the bat. Now, again, I thank God that I'm vindictive like that. And I'm just like, I'll take over your stupid little group and it'll be mine. <laughs> but listen, there are new people here. Have you taken an opportunity to say, again, you don't got to be weird, right? You don't got to like go up to and be like, hi, I'm Joey. Let's be best friends. You want to know my darkest secrets? <laughs> it's like, okay, too much. Back up. Let's not be awkward. To it. That'll make sure they never come back. <laughs> But listen, a simple, hey, I haven't seen you before. What's your name? Hi, my name's Joey. Oh, that's great. Is this your first time? I've been here a couple of times. Cool, cool. Well, you know, what school do you go to? Oh, I go to that school. Yeah. Oh, I know that person. And then again, just a quick thing. And then next week, here's the beautiful part. Next week, hey, uh, your name's Joey, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I met you last week. I just wanted to say hi. I, I, know, I noticed you came back again. The thing that made me want to keep coming to Excel was the fact that the next week when I came back, somebody in that group remembered my name. And I remember thinking, wow, they remembered my name. And it meant the world to me that people knew who I was and cared enough to remember my name. Young people, if you can just meet somebody new and remember their name for next week, 
and say hello by addressing them by their name, I kid you not, it seems like such a small thing, but it goes such a long way. Why? Because I'm sure you would love it if somebody did that for you. The golden rule not only applies to Excel, it applies in your regular school. It applies to the kid that everybody considers weird, that, that always sits by themselves and, and seems awkward and is into anime, but I love anime, so shut up, right? It's, it's that kid. And here's what happens. Instead of having the golden rule, what would happen if you were the weird kid? If everybody thought you were awkward, if everybody thought the way you dressed was weird, if everyone ostracized and put you in a corner, how would you want people to treat you? Think about it like that and then go and treat that person that way. Now, if you want people to sit there and talk crap about you, one, something wrong about you, but two, you're lying. That's not true. You don't want people to do that. You want people to be nice. Now, again, some people are introverted. You may not want a whole crowd of people coming at you. That might, you know, freak you out. But you would at least want somebody to be nice to you. This is how we're supposed to act with our parents. Listen, being a new dad, there's a lot of things that I'm starting to learn for the first time. But one thing that I figured out a long time ago is that your parents are just people. I know sometimes we look at them as bigger than what they are. But as you get older, you start to realize they're people with their own issues and their own drama, and they make mistakes with you. And I'll tell you this, with every good parent, and not all of them are, but at least the ones who have stuck around and have tried, it's never been because they wanted to fail you. A lot of times it's because they didn't know how to do any better. And when you follow the golden rule with your parents and you take a moment to put yourself in their shoes and say, you know what, if I grew up with an abused family and I was never loved, it would probably be hard for me to learn to love somebody else too. Or, you know what, if it's different for me because I know the love of God now and my mom and dad have never really known that. I'll explain it, Siri. That was creepy, wasn't it? Okay, let me explain better then. <laughs> See, when you learn to sympathize with your mom and dad a little bit differently, when you put yourself in their shoes and think, well, what if I worked two jobs and had multiple kids and wasn't sure how I was going to pay the bills and then I come home and the kid that I'm depending on has bad grades and is failing everything, how would I feel as a parent? That on top of everything, now i got to worry about you failing school. How would that make me feel about wondering if my kid is going to get involved in drugs and gangs, if they're sleeping around? If you can learn to put yourself in their shoes, I'm not saying that everything they do is justified. But maybe you're a little bit kinder because you realize that it could easily be you like that one day. And how would you want your kids to treat you? If you can learn to follow the golden rule when it comes to your leaders. And you understand that these leaders are leaders, but they're also just under 25-year-old people, most of them. And if you put these people on this pedestal and you think Jesus and my leader, you're setting yourself up for failure. Because these leaders at some point or another, including myself, we're going to fail you. Because we're not God. We're not Jesus. And over the years, I've seen a lot of students who put their hope and prayers in people. And when the person didn't call them when they needed them the most, when the person didn't step up in that moment they needed them, when, when that leader backslid and, and walked away from God and failed, it destroyed that student's walk. And I'm telling you, these people are here to help guide you, but they are not Jesus Christ. They are not your Savior. 
And when you learn to put yourself in their shoes, when you learn to understand that given the same scenario, I might have made the same mistakes, maybe you'll take it out a little less mm, harshly on them. See, 1 Corinthians chapter 6.14 says, and do everything with love. See, everything that you're doing has to be flowed with that golden rule. And in order to do that well, you have to be able to do that with love. When you love people, good and bad, you treat them the way you would want to be treated. If you can learn to love others, you'll find yourself treating them differently. If you can learn to love others, you end up becoming more empathetic towards their situation. You end up maybe not dismissing what they're doing, but at least understanding why they did it. And listen, I totally understand that some people are really hard to love. Some people have messed up so much that it makes it hard to try again. Some people are so hardened or so mean that it's very difficult to love them. But again, if you can follow the golden rule, number three, you'll understand that the golden rule is also about empathy. Empathy is an interesting word. It's the ability to understand and share the feelings of others. It's the ability to understand and share the feelings of others. To put yourself in their shoes, to put yourself in their scenario. When I was about maybe 18, 19, I got really disillusioned with church leadership. There was a a leader at the time who was messing around with this girl and and I got mad and angry and I you know I had kind of had this high view of leadership and uh, it didn't help that the girl was like my ex-girlfriend so they had complicated on top of complicated and I knew a lot of things that nobody else knew because she was telling me and I had been a part of a lot of church breakups in the past and I'd seen what it had done to my family and and I thought, I love the church, I just don't like that guy. And so I don't want to hurt this church. And so I decided to just leave. And I left. I left for about a year. And I wandered. I, I did stuff I wasn't supposed to do. I acted ways I wasn't supposed to act. And eventually God brought me back around and, and started to shift my heart. And, and I knew I needed to get back into church. And so I started praying about where to go. And there was a lot of different churches that were calling me, like, hey, you should come with us. And people I knew from different churches. Honestly, I kind of felt like I was a draft pick, like everybody was trying to get me to go to their group. And the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, you got to go back to Belmont. And I go, but that situation is still there. It hasn't gotten resolved. Nobody, nobody dealt with it. And again, I remember the Lord saying, are you going there for me because I told you or for them? And I didn't want anybody to hold me back from what God called me to do. And so I went back here. And a funny thing is, as, as the situation was unfolding, the Lord began to prompt me to pray for that person that I hated. And listen, I'm telling you, I, when I say hated, I would walk into church, see that person, and my whole body would twitch in anger. Like, like that person, they would walk by, shake everybody's hand. They would try to shake my hand. I'd look at their hand and I'd walk away. Not because I, I do feel like that's a real cool disrespect to another man. Like it hits him right in the, in the face. But the reality is I actually wanted to hit him in the face. And so in order to not do that, I would just walk away. The Lord kept telling me, pray for him, pray for him. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray from God, strike him dead, put him in an accident, expose him. Like I was praying, right? But the more I began to pray for him, the more the Lord began to show me, Joey, put in the same scenario, you probably would have done the same thing. And I'm like, God, I wouldn't do that. And then God began to point out all the areas in my life where I messed up in similar ways. And he began to say, 
if you were in that situation, how would you want to be treated? If you were sinning like that and then caught, would you want to be ostracized by everybody, pointed at, laughed at, run out of town? Or would you want people to understand that you were a young guy put in a leadership position that he wasn't ready for and you needed help and sympathy to walk a process of restoration in your life? I realize that if I'm in that scenario, I want mercy. I don't want hatred. I want people that love me enough to walk me through the process and help me be a better man. And as I began to pray that, that guy's situation came to light because anything that's done in darkness eventually comes to light. And the pastor that had come in, it was a new pastor who started working with the teenagers. And uh, Pastor John, some of you have met him, came in. And he began to help me work through situations. He began to expose that situation and, and help Pastor Carlos and the rest of the people deal with that whole thing. But again, the thing that he helped me with more than anything was empathize and realize it could easily be you. You could easily be in that same situation. And it's easy to point fingers when you're not the one. But when you are in that situation, when you do find yourself there, how do you want people to treat you? And the answer to that question is how you should start treating people now that are in that same scenario. Listen, there are going to be times where some of you in this room are going to mess up. Where spiritually you're going to screw up. Where you're going to do something you regret, where you're going to be called out, where you're going to be put on blast, where you're going to make mistakes. How do you want the rest of the people in this group to treat you? That's how you should be treating them right now. How do you want everybody else in here to look at you? That's how you should be looking at them right now. Because it's too easy to point fingers and be like, I can't believe you did that. It's too easy to throw somebody under the bus and turn your back on them and go, I knew they were going to mess up. I knew they weren't real. I knew they were all fake. And not acknowledge that you are just as fake sometimes. And you make just as many mistakes. When you understand and you're empathetic enough to realize that you are just as capable of sin as anybody else, then suddenly you're not willing to throw that stone. Right? There's a story in the Bible about uh, this woman that was caught in the sin of adultery. She was caught sleeping with somebody that wasn't her husband. And she was dragged out into town before Jesus and a bunch of other people. And everybody picked up rocks because according to that law, that sin resulted in her being literally um, rocked to death, right? Like they would throw stones at her and they would stone her to death. That was the result and the consequence of her sin. And so trying to test Jesus, they go, hey, what should we do? Because the law, we talk about it, right, says kill her. And Jesus goes, okay, that's the law. But first of you, first one to throw it should be the one who doesn't have any sin. And then he goes and he writes in the sand. We don't know what he wrote down. The Bible doesn't clarify what he wrote down. But I love that the Bible doesn't because it allows you to maybe assume a little bit. I'd like to imagine that be, he began to, to write the receipts on the ground. He began to point out their own sins. He began to say, hey, remember when you cheated? Hey, remember when you did this? Remember? Like just calling them out in the sand. Because the Bible says that immediately after that, they began to drop the stones and walk away. Listen, sometimes we're the ones with the rocks, and sometimes we're the ones where the people are about to throw rocks at us. You'll find yourself in both those scenarios one day. And what you do in those scenarios says a lot about you and a lot about your relationship with God. 
Worship team, if you can help me out. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 9 says, Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. Listen, this is so contrary to what God tells us to do, or what we want to do, I should say. Right? If someone curses at you, don't curse at them. It's like, nah, man, I'm going to drop every word I got on them. If, if somebody attacks you, don't attack them. Why? I got to defend myself. No, the Bible says that God will defend you. That it's his to avenge. You know, most people that react that way, honestly, it's a deep sense of insecurity. You're scared and you're hurt. And because they triggered your emotions, you react. But the most powerful people, the most secure people, the strongest of people, they don't react that way. They don't have it become reactive. They instead are proactive in their feelings and in their relationships and in their emotions. See, here's the key to this golden rule. Because the fact is that it's a very difficult rule to follow, especially if you've been taken advantage of or hurt in your life. If you've been taken advantage of, if you've been hurt repeatedly, this is a very hard lesson for you because you're bruised up. This becomes a part of your defense mechanism. I think about a dog we had in the neighborhood one time. My buddy got a, a new pit bull. And, you know, in the hood, pit bulls, you, you, you get them because you want to mean, you know, the guys in the neighborhood, they always raise them up to fight each other, to do these other things. Well, this pit bull... Um, had been severely abused. It was always put to fight other dogs, and it was made to be really aggressive, and it was beaten and hurt a lot. And I remember the first week, um, he was growling at this one girl with rollerblades, and she kicked it in the face, and he went nuts. And then the next week, I went to their house, happened to be on rollerblades, and he attacked me, started biting my legs. He wasn't doing that because he was a bad dog. He just... He just got kicked in the face by rollerblades. So naturally, the next time he sees rollerblades, he, he's going to react. And I kid you not, the first week, he bit everybody in the neighborhood. And the second week, he bit everybody twice. Eventually, he jumped his fence and bit his neighbor so badly that they had to put the dog down and eventually kill the dog. And here's the thing. That was never the dog's fault. Nobody would say, well, that was just a bad dog. We used to joke around because it had, like, a tooth growing out of its nose. And we used to joke around like it was born in a full moon. It's an evil dog, and that's why it does stuff like that. But it's, it's not evil. It's hurt. It was abused. It was damaged. And it's only reacting the way it knows how. And I was just thinking a couple weeks ago, Josh, you brought your brand-new pet dog in there, right? It's a pit bull. Cutest little dog. Blue eyes, is it? gray fur. He's like, hey, can I go show everybody? Normally I wouldn't do that. I'm like, yo, that dog's cute. Yeah, go show everybody. Is your dog bad? Are you training your dog to be good? And listen, we're not too different from that dog. Some of us in this room have been raised up in an environment that was healthy and that was strong, a godly environment where we've learned right and wrong and, and we're relatively spiritually healthy. 
Others in this room, we weren't so lucky. Even those who maybe were raised in a godly home weren't so lucky. Things happened to you. Your life has had some effects on you. You've been abused. You've been damaged. At times, you've been hurt verbally, physically, sexually. Things have gone on in your life. And the things you're doing are simply a reaction of the life you've gone through. And I need you to understand something. You're not a bad person because of how you react. You're not something that we need to put down because we can't control. Because from what I know, my, my God loves to rescue his people. It's the whole purpose of the gospel. That he came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. And if I can add, abused and damaged. And he made them new again. And he made them whole again. And all throughout the Bible, you see God is in the business of rescuing damaged people. Of rescuing a man like Moses who was a murderer and turning him into a leader of people. Of rescuing people like Paul who penned the things we were reading. And Paul would go around and he would round up Christians and have them killed. And yet God would choose a man like that and rescue him and use him for his honor and for his glory. The golden rule is predicated on love. You can't follow the golden rule if you don't first understand the love of God in your life. And when you have accepted the love of God in your life, then it's easy to give the love toward everybody else. When you understand that I didn't deserve to be loved the same way that servant didn't deserve his debt to be wiped clean, then it's easier to forgive somebody else's debt against you. When you understand that no matter how someone has hurt you, you've hurt God worse, then it's easy to say, I forgive them. It's easy to let go of the pain and the cost and say, God, I'm going to give it to you. I understand that I'm damaged. I understand that I'm messed up. But I also need to understand that God can heal the brokenhearted. God can restore damaged things. Again, we live in a world where we love to use paper plates, paper cups, because after we're done with it, we throw it out. But God washes his plates. God keeps good care of his dishware. He reuses it and he restores it back to its perfect and original sense. Galatians chapter 5, 14 says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Why don't you stand with me? In a moment, I want to pray for the golden rule to be something that each of us live out loud. But it's something interesting about that last verse I read. That the entire law can be summed up in this, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if we can be honest, maybe that's the problem. That the reason we can't love other people is because we're still having a really hard time loving ourselves. We don't like who we are. We don't like what we've gone through. We don't like that we've been hurt and abused and damaged. We don't like that people look at us a certain way. We don't like the things we've gone through and what it's made us do and who it's made us out to be. And that's fair. But you don't have to stay that way. You don't have to continue to be that. God can restore those things and use what you thought was meant to damage you to heal someone else. 
So here's what I'd like to do. With every head bow, every eye closed, I want to pray for those who are having a hard time tonight loving themselves. And I'm going to ask if my leaders can help me out. Leaders, would you come up here and just stand at the front for me? Just face the students. I'm asking the leaders to come up here because they've been where you're at. And sometimes even today they struggle with that same thing. But with every head bowed, every eye closed, if there's anyone here who says, Pastor Joy, I'm, I'm having a really hard time loving myself. I'm having a really hard time with letting God love me because I don't know how to love me. But I also can't keep going the way that I'm going. It hurts too much to keep trying to go through this the way that it is. And I need things to be different. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand? No one's looking around. This is just between you and God right now. Just lift up your hand. Amen. Anyone else? Thank you, guys. Listen, as you lift up your hand, would you do me a favor? Would you find a leader up here? And they're going to help pray for you. Guys with guys, girls with girls, just... No one else looking around. If you didn't raise your hand, you don't have to, to look up. Just keep this private. Come on. Don't worry about everybody else. Come on. If you lifted up your hand, you need this. This isn't for anybody else. This is for you. This is about you. Don't be worried about what other people think or what other people say. And leaders, I want you to begin to pray over them. I want you to begin to ask God to help them. Come on. You're good, bro. You're right there. Come on, if you need to come up here, just come up behind somebody. We're going to begin to pray. Come on, just begin to press in. Students, if you're at your seat and you're in a good place, would you extend your hand and would you begin to pray for your brothers and your sisters? Would you begin to ask God to help them in this area that they're struggling with, to, to begin to bless them, to begin to, to lay his heart over them? Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every individual that came up here, God. I thank you for their boldness and their courage and admitting that they need something greater in their life than themselves. God, I pray that in this ministry we would follow the golden rule, that we would treat others the way we want to be treated. Lord, that we would even take it up a notch and we would treat others the way you treat us. That we would give them the same mercy you give us. That we would give them the same love you give us. That we would give them the same benefit of the doubt you give us. That we would give them what you've given us, God. Lord, I just pray. Lord, there's moments where we feel like I can't forgive myself and I can't love myself or, or I can't get over anything that I've done. And God, I pray that you remind them you did it first. You first forgave us. You first loved us. You first wiped away our debt. So, Lord, we don't have to do it for ourselves because you did it first. So, Father, I just pray that we would follow your steps. That just like we treat others the way we want to be treated, help us to treat ourselves the way you treat us. So look at ourselves, not with our own critical eyes, but with your loving eyes. That we would know the truth because we know you. That we would live it out every step of the way. And when those moments of insecurity creep up, when those doubts come up and those parts of us that say otherwise, Lord, I pray that you would silence that voice so that all we can hear is you. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said?
Amen. Amen. Come on. Would you give God a hand clap of praise?